welcome to the Education Futures Podcast. I'm John Moravec. And I'm Kelly Moravec. Well, this is episode two. We survived. <laughs> <laughs> we did. And between that first episode and this one, we had a book discussion. We did. Want to share a little bit about it? Yeah. So we discussed Ken Robinson's Creative Schools. And we sort of on the spur of the moment decided that we would hold it as a Facebook live stream discussion in addition to a Twitter chat. And so John moderated the Twitter chat, posted the questions on Twitter, and then um, responded to and, and retweeted and, and, and worked with the people that were on Twitter. And I hosted a live Facebook stream um, on my account and on our Education Futures account and basically gave my thoughts about the questions and then um, responded to the people that were on Facebook posting questions and comments. And um, we had a really great uh, and interesting discussion with a huge variety of, of people that decided to tune in. Right. And we chose this book because it's about creativity. Mm-hmm. Right? Who's to say there's something wrong about creativity? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would. And Ken Robinson is a quite a popular author, too. So it was, I think as a first choice, it was a nice friendly one to, to bring in. So what I really liked about this book chat, because I've never seen on Twitter myself a book discussion actually happen, a group of people getting together, having a book discussion. And I had a lot of apprehension as to how we would do it, how we'd make it happen. And we did. And I liked the, the mixed formats uh, method that we did. And you were, you know, live streaming on Facebook the whole time. And it was just fantastic. Yeah, it was really fun. And I think that's there are some great uh, key points that came out. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share a couple of them right now. Yeah, let's do it. So the kids that aren't compliant, they're they're kind of doing their own thing. And rather than stifling that, um, providing creative outlets for them to be able to do the things that they need to do and, and valuing uh, that they don't feel they need to play school to get what they need to out of the time that they spend with you in your class. Eric says, the tough kids are the best ones to have. If you can get them, you're golden. Half the time, they aren't as tough as they appear. Right. Absolutely. Because I just, I wrote a blog post about this a few months ago about the idea of, um, you know, being, being captive versus being captivated. Right. And so, you know, we make kids come to school from eight to three every day and, and they're held captive there. Um, they, they don't have a choice about being there. They have to be there and they don't really have a choice about what they're supposed to do while they're there. And, you know, as a result, we have kids that play school really well and, and they're maybe learning some things. We have kids that sit and, and daydream or think their own things and they're being quiet. So they're not tough kids because they're, you know, at least they're sitting there and they're not being disruptive. And then we have the kids that are being disruptive and, you know, they're talking to their friends. They're getting up to sharpen their pencil. They're going to the bathroom every five minutes. They're, you know, poking their next door neighbor. They're taking notes. They're staring out the window. You know, those things that we, you know, we need to manage those behaviors, right? What's your behavior management plan? Um, when, you know, really what we need to do is, is create captivating experiences as opposed to holding them captive in a classroom and then punishing the kids who are, are expressing that they don't want to be held captive. <laughs> 
the Twitter side of the discussion, I think there is some really, I mean, we're a much smaller group, I think, uh, maybe a group of five to 10 of us. Uh, but I think that the discussion was also quite rich, despite that we had a smaller group with. Just looking at some highlights, the first question we asked, what should students know and be able to do as a result of their education? Right, getting back to one of the key background questions about, so what are we doing this for? Epis Art responded, how to create for self, others, and the world. How to craft meaningful questions and how to reflect with intent and purpose. Another one said, most important to me is to learn how to learn, unlearn, and relearn. I like that one. Thank you, that was mine. (laughs) (laughs) Another one said, oh. Oh, yeah. And you said, you had to go in too. You said students should leave schools equipped with skills and strategies to allow them to find success along their chosen career uh, careers and career paths. I thought that was really great. College too. and career paths. College and career paths. Sorry. The third question we asked, how can we encourage and inspire creativity, imagination, and innovation within our current systems? I'm just jumping around and looking at a couple of questions here that I thought we had some interesting responses. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that Episart nailed it. It's about It's all about enabling curiosity to develop an imaginative, creative, and innovative talent. But then you also added, teachers may not control what to teach, but they can choose how. Giving students freedom to explore interests through content and be creative with output. That's something that's really important to me because, you know, in this uh, standards based, you know, era that we're in right now, um, teachers really don't have a lot of control over what they have to teach. Um, But they do, for the most part, have control over how. And so instead of just as a go-to using whatever curriculum guide or or textbook or, or resources or materials that are provided for them, really allowing students to explore and and have a little bit more freedom about what they're what they want to do and 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 finding their curiosities and asking questions and and then using the content as a way to be creative and explore. I like that a lot. And one of the ideas that came through in Robinson's book was uh, misprediction. Mm-hmm. And that's something that in our read through, it's something that you and I both highlighted. How did it strike you? Well, I mean, I think it's not any secret that misprediction happens all the time. And basically what, what Ken Robinson suggests is that based on certain demographics, there are mispredictions that take place that uh, put students in certain categories or uh, certain classes or certain tracks that aren't necessarily based on anything other than the misprediction based on their their demographics or or you know socioeconomic status or or race or something like that. I think it was it's more like a nice term for you know discriminating against kids based on who they are and where they've come from. In the Twitter chat, I said that I think that a lot of this misprediction comes from measuring the wrong things and valuing the wrong measurements. Mm-hmm. And that was really pulling in from the points that we wrote at Manifesto 15. We said, measure what we value, but don't value what we measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really my thought, I've been doing a lot of thinking around data um, because that, you know, we want to do a lot of data-based decision-making in in schools these days. And, you know, we're dealing with individuals. We're We're not dealing with standard people. People aren't standardized. People are individuals. And so when we're making decisions based on, data, we're really just looking at a group that we've decided the numbers averaged out to the typical person. And then we're making decisions about all kids, each kid, based on this typical information. And, 
you know, if you think about what that looks like in other aspects of our lives, where else is it okay to stereotype a group of kids and then discriminate against them based on that? We don't do that. That's not allowed. <laughs> well, I've been thinking, no, seriously, I don't, we can put a pin in this and not put it in, but I really have been thinking about that concept a lot lately because data is so important to everyone and we don't want to do anything unless there's data to support it and it has to be research-based and all that stuff. And when we're dealing with individual people, individual kids that aren't standard, they're, you know, people aren't standardized. How can we make decisions about individual people based on the average of, of a group that someone else, someone decides is typical? Right. And big data and data analytics is a emerging sexy topic in education now. And there is a new book out called Weapons of Math Destruction which gets very much into this point and how we're using analytics to plot out or predict or mispredict not just students' success in schools, but also throughout their entire lives as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to get in contact with that author in the coming weeks, too, to see if we can connect and learn more. Mm-hmm. We asked, how can we bring students, parents, teachers, administrators, business and community members together to transform education to something more futures-oriented, or that brings more futures thinking into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And in our own research, and also in, in, in Robinson's book, this was, this was a major theme. You know, how, do we, how can we bring the communities in, and can we really, how can we really develop a collective capacity to transform education? Danny Basel from Chicago, who runs the Tutor Mentor Team, wrote that this is a marketing problem. Constant invitation is needed to bring village into the process. Students could be creating these. It takes a village, but who's building it? Right. And I I think it's no secret that I have advocated all over the place for bringing a variety of voices to the table when we're talking about, even when we're talking about that first question that, that, that we asked, which is, what should students know and be able to do as a result of their education? We need to be talking to parents. We need to be talking to the students themselves. They have the most important voice. We need to be talking to teachers and administrators and policymakers and businesses and other community members. We need to be talking to a vast variety of people, the village, um, to be to be making these determinations and then to start thinking about what are our long-term goals and then how what are the steps toward making those goals. And I think he's right in asking the question, who's building it? Because really, who's responsible for for bringing that group of people together? I think it also ties with the larger question of how can we make what we do within schools or education much more meaningful on the community level rather than, say, on a mass level or because we've been really operating on this industrial paradigm, how can we attend to more student-level or student-specific level learning, but that's also meaningful for the community that the school would be expected to serve? Mm-hmm. It's a big question. Well, I think we need to provide more opportunities for kids to get out into the community and be interacting with community members, be doing positive things for the community, be identifying problems, issues within their own communities that they have the capacity to work through and and develop solutions and try out solutions through more of a project-based learning model. Um, And then also inviting the community in. We have lots of strong leaders in our community that would be invaluable to our school, to our schools, coming in as guest speakers, coming in to work with classes, coming in to just give a a demonstration 
I mean, just, you know, working to ensure that the people from the community feel welcome in our schools and that also our school kids feel welcome out in the community. Yeah, we just uh, completed a research project in Uruguay when we were actually going out in smaller communities and uh, connecting with parents, community community members, uh, school leaders and students as well, bringing everybody to the table to see, well, how can we build this collective capacity? We're doing the framework of technology, equity and access to technology. And what we found is that community really wants to be involved in. And so it's not just like reaching out into the community, but also opening the doors of the school into the community, even for the, for the smaller things, you know, the smaller learning pieces as well. Uh, share resources, share access, encourage intergenerational sharing, intercultural sharing. And there is a real, a real desire for this. Mm-hmm. So we're going to publish this in a report next week. So in a, another podcast, I think we'll, we'll get to it. I think that you hit on something that's really important there. And that's the idea of bringing the community in and having them involved in something that's meaningful. Because typically right now what we do in schools is we, we invite families in, but we invite them in to talk at them, to either conference with them about their own individual child or to have them sit in an auditorium or sit in a cafeteria and, and hear information. And there isn't much opportunity for them to interact with lots of kids and lots of teachers and be a part of the school community. Our first book discussion was on Ken Robinson's Creative Schools. Our next one is going to be Posse Salberg's Finish Lessons 2.0. I have started reading it. I had not read it before. I hadn't read the first edition. Um, And so I'm about halfway through the first chapter, and I already am identifying lots of things that I am excited to talk about. So I think that this is going to be a really great uh, book discussion and um, would highly encourage anyone who's interested to grab a copy and get started reading. And that will take place on Saturday, October 1st. 10 a.m., Facebook and Twitter. So, Kelly, it's back-to-school season. It is. You're a teacher. Mm-hmm. You had your back-to-school workshop mm-hmm. last week, and you were telling me about an exercise that you did that you were framing, you're, you're framing your identities. Mm-hmm. So, um, basically, in this exercise, we were, uh, we put our names in a circle in the center of a piece of paper, and then we're directed to choose five characteristics that uh, were the most important parts of our identities. And uh, we were given examples of things like, um, you know, gender and religion and place in your family, uh, race, um, you know, things like that. But then also things like, you know, significant events in your life, like homeownership, um, you know, things that really define you at this moment, but not necessarily define you Um, would necessarily define you fully all the time. And so we did that. You did it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love how podcasts work. So the part that struck me the most about this exercise is that you had to start with a a list of five traits or five qualities 
and you had to eliminate one, eliminate one, eliminate one, eliminate one until you had only one left. Mm -hmm. And that was your core thing. You make some tough choices and really whittle down who you are, Mm -hmm. really at the core. So I thought, let's try this. But let's do let's do let's work up with it from from Ken Robinson's original question. What is education for? Okay. And so, five things. Let's just go back and forth. I think shall we just do that? Sure. And maybe we'll have the. I think we go, we'll go back and forth. But maybe we'll have the same we'll have the same items on the list. But then we'll start uh, pairing things out. Well, I think earlier we talked about the idea of being able to. Um, learn, unlearn, and relearn, but then also the idea of, you know, students being equipped with skills and strategies that will propel them along whatever path they take outside of school. And I think learning, unlearning, and relearning are part of the strategies that, that people need to have to move along a path. So if we start there and thinking about what we, what we want to instill in people as they leave school or throughout their experience in a school is having strategies and skills that allow them to learn and unlearn and relearn uh, in such a way that they are moving forward along a path toward accomplishing whatever goal it is that they have uh, as far as their college or career. I think we're in complete agreement here and that it's about learning to learn Mm -hmm. or unlearn or relearn as necessary. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So five themes within the curriculum, five points, five, what are we looking for? Five areas of focus. Five areas of focus. Five, five areas that, that the school should shoot for. Okay. So I'm thinking about this in terms of from kindergarten through 12th grade, what students should be learning, experiencing, practicing with, exploring to leave the school system equipped with the strategies and skills that they need to propel themselves along whatever path they choose. Right. Okay. Um, So I think that my first um, curricular area would be communication. So reading, writing, thinking, speaking, listening, all of the, 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 the experiences that go along with what it means to communicate with other people. Right. And I would have to agree with that too. I would say communication and sort of functional literacy. So you're able to find what you need to be able to navigate and also critically assess. Mm-hmm. That'd be one. What would your second one be? Um, I think my second one would be something along the lines of um, inquiry or, or some sort of process for diving deeper or uh, following curiosity, something like that. So I would, I'm going to call that inquiry, but I mean more than just the ability to ask questions. Okay. Okay. And for my second one, I was thinking of free play and free exploration. Mm-hmm. And when we engage in free play, it's very much of a social thing where we co-discover the rules, we co-discover our goals together, and we make a lot of things up as we go along. And I think it's a very natural way for learning. Mm-hmm. Towards these ends. I agree with you. The, the idea of play to me, it seems like like something that any elementary teacher would be able to recognize and say, yeah, absolutely. But what do you say for a middle and high school teachers? What does play look like in a middle and high school? I think that in middle school and high school, we see free play 
transform more into free exploration. Whereas we explore the communities and the relationships of ourselves with our communities. And we need to look at how we can create opportunities to really enable that and make things happen. As kids start to look beyond the boundaries of their their school um, social communities. Mm-hmm. What's your third one? <laughs> I think my third one would be problem identification skills. Um, I was reading the other day, and I don't remember where it was, or I would credit the source, but it was um, it was talking about how you know one of the the top five most important skills that employers used to look for was problem solving. Um, but now, rather than problem solving, they're they're looking for people who are able to identify problems, and that struck me as being really interesting. So they're they're wanting people that can sort of think creatively and see, think outside the box and identify something either before it presents itself as a problem or identify potential problems, um, and then have the skills to be able to solve those problems or to have the skills to preemptively. Uh, create circumstances so that they don't become problems. And that's a little bit of a different shift in thinking where, you know, we talk a lot about being good problem solvers, but there, there's there's something different about being able to be a problem identifier. Oh, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, Seymour Papert died very recently, and he was a big um, proponent of computational thinking and computational problem solving which I think relates to that very much. It's about being able to identify a problem and also be able to communicate it to other people or or parse it out into machine-readable code or something so other people can follow instructions or machines can follow instructions to solve it. In an age where we're really obsessed with STEM education, and where schools ask themselves, like, okay, yeah, we're on board with STEM, but... What does that mean we should do differently, mm-hmm. right? I think that uh, the approaches towards computational thinking and this sort of this integration of you know understanding a problem, analyzing it, parsing it out, and be able to communicate it to people or be able to code it machines, I think that is also critically important. I think that brings new purposive uh, opportunities for working within these STEM areas. Okay. All right, I'll tell you my fourth, okay? My fourth would be soft skills development. That we've got to focus on entrepreneurship. We've got to focus on being a good person. We've got to focus on intercultural uh, communication skills. Uh, we have to focus on elements of responsibility. And these these are real tacit like character qualities that I think that is important to focus on. Because in a world that's changing so rapidly, if we don't have the particular knowledge to solve a problem or take on a job, or, to, or you know, to fill in a job role because it's just created. You don't have the skills for it. At least you have the soft skills to survive the job interview and show that, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a quick learner. I'm a leader and responsible. I think those are all very critical. I think for number four, I would put something like um, critical thinking, the ability to, you know, detect bias or to you know, look at any piece of given information, look at any, any question with a critical eye, um, to, to make, to, I don't know, draw conclusions or to develop opinions about something based on critical analysis. How does that differ from your first one of, um, of communications literacy? Well, I didn't say literacy. You said that. I said literacy. Yeah. Yeah. Communication 
to, my first one was communication, which I said was reading, writing, thinking, speaking, listening. Right. So those are skills um, that fall within the umbrella of communication. So critical thinking w- is d- doesn't necessarily have anything to do with communicating with someone, with with sharing ideas with another person or gathering ideas necessarily from another person. It's what you're doing yourself, the way that you're thinking about something on your own prior to maybe communicating about it or making a decision about it or choosing your next step. Okay. Your fifth area. What's yours? I would say futures thinking. Scanning the horizon, environmental scanning, bringing in foresight skills, which I think I think it's really a function of imagination together with exploring our communities to gathering as much as we can, to reading as much as we can, as many sides of an issue as we can, as many newspapers as we can, connecting with as many experts as we can to really define as best as we, to our best ability, where we're headed. Okay. I'm about to blow your mind with my number five. All right. Failure. Failure. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that we, because when we started this conversation, we talked about the idea that in grades kindergarten through 12, what we're really wanting is kids to be experimenting with, to be exposed to, to be learning about, to be learning with these areas of curriculum, for lack of a better word. And I think having a space where failure is acceptable and celebrated and used as a way to further explore, to think critically, to further inquire, um, to communicate. Um, I think that uh, we need to be allowing our kids to experience failure uh, in safe ways so that they're able to use it as, as true learning experiences as opposed to as, you know, feeling... I think we need to provide students with opportunities to experience failure in a safe and positive way. So it seems to me then the role of school is a little bit different than what we were talking about before then, because it seems that we both have been using the word experience quite a bit. And so maybe the role of school then is to enable experience, enable experiences, experience building, Well, I and think help us make wise decisions along the way. If you asked any teacher, any administrator, any teacher leader, no one would suggest that there aren't experiences happening at school. I don't think we can make such a broad statement. I, I, I don't think that suggesting that schools should be all about experience is really all that radical. Schools are already about experience. So maybe it's the kinds of experiences that we're wanting students to, to engage in, but... I don't think it's all about just experience. No matter what they're doing at school, they're experiencing something. So of those five items, which one or two would you keep no matter what that you think really define the core of a school? You know, I think that as we've been having this conversation and the more I'm thinking about it, I, uh, if I were to, to be allowed to, um, I, would, I would keep communication. So reading, writing, thinking, speaking, listening. Um, and then I would keep failure. I think those are great. I would also keep the communication part, but I, th- I think it was framing as more of like foundational literacies um, that include you know, communication, but also helping to you know, define what you need, but also help to filter out a better signal to noise ratio, I think. But also I put in free play and exploration. 
I think that also connects with failure very well because in modes of play, uh, failure is part of a natural part of learning and how we go along too. So I think they're both very complementary. I think we could probably, if we thought about it long enough, come up with one term that sort of encapsulates all of these thoughts and ideas. And I think that you could make an argument that all of them are intertwined in some way. You know, as you were talking about your definition of of communication, it fit really well with my thoughts on critical thinking. So I think maybe as opposed to thinking about curricular areas like this that we would keep, it's more about thinking about the the mindset of what what school is is meant to be about and what kinds of experiences we want for our kids with the end goal in mind to be able to learn and unlearn and relearn skills and strategies that they might need to push them forward on whatever path they choose. So as much fun as it is for John and me to engage in these kinds of conversations, we actually do this all the time. Um, And so it's a lot more fun when we get emails and feedback from other people so that we can incorporate your thoughts and suggestions and ideas into our conversations. So we would like to invite you to share your thoughts. What do you think students need to know, understand, and be able to do as a result of their education? And within thinking about that, what one or two thoughts do you have about core curricular pieces that need to be in a K-12 system? For our November book club, we will be reading Dr. Richard Cash's Self-Regulation in the Classroom. And when we got together with Richard the other day for an interview for a future podcast episode, he let us know that his publisher will actually be giving us two copies of that book and two copies of his Advancing Differentiation, Thinking and Learning for the 21st Century. So John and I have decided that to get you to engage in conversation with us and to send us some emails with your thoughts and ideas and questions and concerns, we would love to give away uh, copies of Advancing Differentiation. And then later we'll have some giveaways for self-regulation in the classroom. So send us an email at info at educationfutures.com, or you can contact me at kelly at educationfutures.com or john at john at educationfutures.com. And the first person who does so will receive a copy of Advancing Differentiation. We'll be giving away the second copy of Advancing Differentiation through another promotion on our podcast next week. We're going to be a little more provocative. We're going to talk about using Pokemon Go and Minecraft in the classroom. This was the Education Futures Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm John Moravec. And I'm Kelly Moravec. 